0: guys welcome back to cedar and cypress pod we're so glad you're here wherever you are whatever you're doing we hope you are having a wonderful day this is allison and this is live and today we are going to be talking about the personhood of jesus which is what it's all about that's what it's all about and we did have our first episode on you know who god is and this is kind of an extension and following up on that kind of theological strain but before we get started and jump into all of that live what was the best part of your week uh well okay before i say that i don't know
1: why i just feel the need to mention this when you're like that's what it's all about i just yeah. have, like the song in my head like that's what it's all about <laughs> like anyway i don't know <laughs> I don't know why I felt like the strong urge to like say that, but you should like, have you should have I like I have to me. share this. So anyway, um, best part of my week. Um, I feel like Allison and I were just talking literally two seconds ago before we started mm-hmm. recording that about just how crazy our weekends were. Um, this past weekend was Memorial Day weekend, and um. I feel like the best part of my week was just like my community of people. Cause there were so many things that went on. I feel like I can't like pick one, but I would just say like just the community that my husband and I get to be a part of here and the church that we're a part of is just such a blessing. Like there's just so many people that we found friendships with and been able to kind of grow those friendships and get to know people more deeply and just Um, hang out together, have some good conversations, eat some good food and just like hang out and have fun. So um, we got to hang out with a lot of people this past weekend and just got to um, honestly have a lot of really good conversations too and just have some fun. So um, that was really refreshing, very much needed. So um, that was probably the best part of my week. What about
0: you? Yeah, mine actually somewhat has to do with church as well. So I would honestly say the best part of my week was church this week. Mm -hmm. Because my husband and I had missed a couple weeks of church, which doesn't sound like much. But when all that time has elapsed between every Sunday and you haven't gone in, what, like two weeks, it just feels like a lifetime since you've gone. And so it was a guest speaker that we had on Sunday morning. And it was such a blessing because we were in Genesis 14, which is a very obscure chapter about uh, Abram rescuing Lot from Mm -hmm. like a battle slash war that he got caught up in. And then about Melchizedek, which we're incidentally Mm -hmm. going to talk about later. Yeah. (laughs) It was such a blessing that that happened to be the week we went back because the pastor had just such a fire and uh, passion for the passage he was speaking on, which was such an obscure passage. So it's, it's just really wonderful to have a speaker who will like dive into the details of that tough passage with you and literally take you baby step by baby step through it in the context and explain it. And honestly, church was just the best part of the week for me.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. We love that. We'd love to see it when a pastor or preacher is like not scared to talk about the stuff that other people don't want to talk about, Yeah. Um, whether that be an obscure passage or a controversial topic, like Mm -hmm. we like to discuss here (laughs) on the cedar Cypress podcast, but um, yeah, I I just love that. I love when people aren't afraid to talk about those things. Like yeah, you know when they want to do a a series on Revelation or Song of Solomon or something, just like yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) It's and the best part too was that he he read the entire chapter out loud, which is a series of extremely difficult names to pronounce and right locations, and he did an amazing job. So just props to him because I couldn't wasn't afraid of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. so we're going to jump right into our topic for today. So um, how we're going to kind of discuss the topic of Jesus um, throughout scriptures, we're going to talk about different roles that Jesus has, um, as well as different ways that we see him appear um, just throughout the Bible. So the first topic that we're going to talk about is Jesus as the word. Um, So we all know the verse in John 1, 1 that talks about Jesus being present with God in the beginning. John 1, 1, which states in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So basically, um, in the Greek, in the original language... Um, The word that's actually used here to describe the word is the word logos. Um, And this is important to note just because this word is only used when describing the word as Jesus. Um, So when we see uh, the word of God mentioned later in scripture or in other places, and it's actually describing the Bible itself, um, a different word is actually used. So this is the word that's used again. It's logos to describe Jesus. So Um, We're going to kind of read just a little part of a commentary on the book of John on this verse, specifically John 1, 1, um, just about this word and this phrase, um, just because I thought it kind of described it really well, just diving into it a little bit deeper. So um, this commentary says that ho logos, the word, however, no adequate translation of logos is possible. It implies both reason and language. It represents both the counsels proceeding from God and the manifestation to man, Um, and then later it says "ho logos" is applied to our Lord elsewhere in revelation, 19, 13, and in the epistle of John in one, one in verse or chapter one, verse one. Um, so the Christology of the gospel and revelation is the same. It also says in this commentary that it's never used in the Bible as an equivalent for the scriptures, the written word. Um, so again, that just kind of backs up the fact that logos is used to describe Jesus. Um, so we'll, when we see like a different word, for instance, um, describing this, uh, like there's a word which is krafé, um, that word is talking about scripture or the Bible, whereas logos is talking about Jesus specifically. So, um, that's just important to mention. So we, if we ever like see that verse, uh, or see that word pop up elsewhere, it's actually referring to Jesus, not the scriptures itself. Um, but it's also important to note that, um, because we see this described this way and supported throughout Scripture as describing Jesus specifically, we know that Jesus was with God at the beginning. So um, it's just one way that we see the Trinity as a whole represented, um, where Jesus is mentioned, God is mentioned, and then of course in Genesis we also see the Spirit is mentioned as well.
0: That's super interesting. I this this verse has always kind of puzzled me. Like regardless, I feel like regardless of how many times I hear it described or explained, this. This verse just always puzzles me. And I think when you kind of break down the different meanings of the words that are used to describe Jesus as the word and their distinctions from other Greek words, trying to avoid saying that. too much saying the word word too much, but all that to say is that Jesus is embodying the message, and this creates him as a n- distinction from all the people that came before him and sets him apart because he, they're not like John was bringing the message. He's actually the message. Like he's the mm-hmm. word. He's the thing we're pointing to. He's the thing. This has all been about from the very beginning. And I was actually at another commentary while you're reading that, and it's the one from David Gusek, I'll make sure to link it. Um, in our description box, but um, what it says when it's talking about John 1, I'll just read it right here, quote, Jewish rabbis often referred to God, especially in his more personal aspects, in terms of his word. They spoke of God himself as the word of God. For example, ancient Hebrew editions of the Old Testament would change Exodus 19.17 to Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the word of God, end quote. So instead of to meet God, to meet the word of God, to meet his message, to meet whatever he has to bring to the world, which I think is a really interesting and useful way of describing and understanding who Jesus is because he's not only God, but he's also the word of God come to bring the message and the whole, to, you know, what the whole biblical narrative is about and kind of mm-hmm. like wrapping that all up. So a really cool distinction of who Jesus is really.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, um, something that I've heard like my pastor say, or just, um, you know, some other spiritual leaders as well is just that, like the gospel is Jesus, you know, like Jesus is the gospel. Um, so like, yes, the gospel message itself, the good news is about Jesus, but like Jesus himself is like the centrality of the gospel. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of just another way to understand that even further, like Jesus is the word. Um, so moving on into the second role that we see Jesus in throughout scripture is the son of God. Um, so obviously we hear this in many different places throughout, um, specifically the gospels. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus claims himself to be the son of God. Um, so in that we do also see, um, that this is kind of distinguishing, uh, Jesus's role, in the Trinity, so basically, there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Spirit. So Jesus is the Son of God, um, which is you know the second part of the Trinity. Um, of course, God is all one, but that's just His role. Um, and then we also kind of know from Jesus's role as the Son of God, um, God's overarching plan for redemption. So um, because Jesus is the Son of God. Um, He was able to be incarnated, able to come to earth and be fully God, fully man, um, and be the Savior that we needed in order to have a mediator between us and God. And we'll hear many times that, um, you know, Jesus needed to be fully God and fully man in order for, you know, this plan to be carried out effectively. Um, you know, he needed to die as a man would, but then again, he also needed to be resurrected in order for our faith to have any merit, um, any meaning, any value, um, which, you know, can only be done by a supernatural being like can only be done by God himself. So, um, you know, God is someone who works miracles and raises from the dead. So, um, you know, we just kind of see Jesus as the son of God in this part. and There's so much more that we could say <laughs> about Jesus as the son of God. Of course, this is a huge part of who Jesus is, um, but that's just kind of a small picture of um, this
0: role that he has as God's son. Yeah, it was the most scandalous part of who he is mm-hmm. ultimately and why Why people did not receive him? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I think we could point to that people didn't didn't receive him and the message that he had to, you know, definitely the things that he convicted them of and saying that they had it all wrong and that they actually Mm -hmm. should be living in another living another way and that almost everything he taught was just very countercultural to yeah people believe and still is countercultural to to our culture today because ultimately it's not just countercultural but it's complete paradox from what humanity tends towards which is evil and which is selfishness so that as well as the fact that he claimed to be the son of god is really why the jewish people wanted to be be done with him and do away with him because they thought that that was completely wrong of him to be claiming so when we talk about jesus being the son of god but also being God, it's God himself saving us because we just couldn't do it ourselves, which I think is so crazy because we're also being saved from the wrath of God. So God himself is saving us from his own wrath by sending his own son. And when you really wrap your mind around that, as a Christian, you'll hear it every single Sunday or every single thing that you listen to that is you know Christian content, you'll hear it over again. But when you really, really wrap, wrap your mind around again, that God is the one saving you himself from his, his own wrath, by sacrificing his son, it gets mentally very confusing, but also makes you even more and more grateful for who Jesus is. And this is a part, this I think is what can be kind of a holdup for a lot of people, at least that I've known in my life who are interested in or exploring Christianity and looking into it. And I had a friend who even told me once, there's so much about the Bible that seems to make complete sense, but there's something about like who Jesus is and Jesus being God, that is really hard for me to wrap my mind around and like fully accept everything that's there in the new Testament claiming about who Jesus is. So this is the part that I think that we can like get tripped up on and stop here or we'll really fully understand the gospel. If we fully understand who Jesus is. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think like, um, that's why
1: it's important to understand, you know, who he was not as well. Um, like, for instance, we'll talk a little bit later about the fact that, um, you know, Jesus was not just a prophet, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, he was not just a man. He was not just a prophet. Um, as God, he fulfilled, you know, the law and the prophets, like so many things. So um, we'll talk about that, like I said, in a little bit. <laughs> Some foreshadowing for you. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely definitely important to know like who he is and who he was not.
0: One of the things that Liv mentioned earlier when we first got started is that we were going to kind of be going through each of the different roles and things that Jesus fulfills. So again, like those first two being Jesus is the word, and then he's also the son of God. Those are really foundational for moving into the next pieces. So the next piece that we're going to move into is Jesus being our high priest and being the high priest. So it, I feel like I could just get into so much information, but I, w- what I will say, overarching, is if you follow the story of Israel and you follow the story of when um, God first sets up priesthood, and priesthood was m- set up, I think it was Exodus. It was at the end of Exodus, going into. I'm not sure off the top of my head. To be honest with you, yeah, I'm not sure exactly which book it was, but. Ultimately, priesthood was created as a mediator between God and between his chosen people, his covenant people, Israel. And priests were to live a very holy life and live a life dedicated to the Lord and were held to a very high standard. And there is a complete book of the things that they had of all the principles they had to live by in Leviticus. That's what that book is all about. And so you'll see that God creates this Levitical priesthood, right? But then over and over again, you'll see that people fail, that people fail to uphold the standards that God is holding to them as as the mediator between him, a holy God, and his imperfect people. However, there's a completely different order of high priest that's being talked about when we talk about Jesus, a completely different type of mediator. One here now who is not just between God and man, but who is God and who is God and man. And it's kind of interesting because I mentioned actually when I was talking about my favorite part of the week that Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis 14 and he's he's described as a high priest. So I'm just going to read these short verses from Genesis that really briefly mention him. Um, You could definitely do a whole study on who Melchizedek is, but it's very interesting because he's not mentioned too often and we don't know too much about him. But when we study the different verses he's mentioned in, we can really put together the full picture. So in this verse, this is after Abram had rescued Lot um, from, from the battle slash war that he had ended up being involved in. And starting at verse 18, and Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And then he blessed him, meaning Abram, and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. End quote. And what's super interesting about this passage here that even my pastor explained on Sunday is that Abram up till this point is the person that you really see who has communion with God and has faith and has a relationship with God. But here we see that Abram's putting himself under Melchizedek and accepting a blessing from him and giving him a tenth of what he had. And so really what we see here is that Melchizedek was of of a higher order and then step into the picture after that, Jesus. Jesus is the one who is both God and man, instead of needing to mediate between them by being a man and communicating with God and being someone that can um, give sacrifices and speak on behalf of the people and um, be interceding for them. He himself was the sacrifice. So this is really where we, we distinguish Jesus from anyone that came before him. He perfectly fulfilled this role when nobody else could. So it's a little of a long-winded um, explanation there, but did you have any thoughts about Jesus as the high priest live? Yeah. I mean, I, of course,
1: have the same, um, you know, kind of awe at the fact that um, Jesus is the mediator in the same way that he kind of like fulfills so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, he fulfills this role of being our high priest in the new covenant um, so that we can have a relationship with God so that we can communicate with God, um, you know, without the the need for a high priest or for sacrifices. Um, you know, before there was a new covenant in the old covenant under the law, um, if you sinned, for example, um, you were no longer fit to, you know, commune with God in any way. You were no longer uh, worthy or pure, and not that we are anyways, but um, basically you had to cleanse yourself of that in order to then um you know request that your sins be forgiven etc. So in order to do that you actually had to give a blood sacrifice uh and there were you know many different sacrifices um at that time but one of them probably the most like prominent was the blood sacrifice where um you would sacrifice an animal in order to pay for your sins mm-hmm. basically um and so that is you know what Jesus did for all of us under the new covenant was become that perfect sacrifice for us so that we could be cleansed of our sins so that we could no longer face the wrath of God so that we could commune with him um, and have that mediator through Jesus Christ. So um, I just think that's such a cool thing. It's such a blessing, of course, Um, you know, to be able to do that, to be able to actually have a relationship with a holy and mighty God Um, And there is actually a verse that I wanted to read just on Jesus being the the great high priest. Um, This is how it's described in scripture. So it's actually in Hebrews um, chapter four, verses 14 through 16. And it says, uh, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, So I think this verse just kind of connects beautifully to what Allison was just saying about um, our inability as human beings Um, alone to satisfy everything that we needed to, um, you know, under the law in order to have a proper mediator um, to truly know God. And Jesus is that perfect sacrifice, that perfect mediator so that, um, you know, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Um, So that's just such a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful passage. And one thing that really just like jumps out at me when I look at this passage, because I've read it many times before, but just when you're reading it just now, and just the reminder that Jesus experienced all the pain and the suffering that life has to offer and -hmm. actually the worst of it. And just the fact that as our, as the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, but then also as the priest and as our mediator, he still experienced that full range of, the joys and the pains of life. And so mm-hmm. when it talks about the fact that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize so that whatever you're going through, regardless, that high priest who would have mediated on your behalf, who is Jesus is perfectly, perfectly acquainted with whatever you're going through. So it's just another layer, I think, of beauty for that.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: So the next role that Jesus fulfills is Messiah. And this word means the anointed one or chosen one in hebrew and then the greek equivalent would be the word christos am i saying that correct christos yeah or um what we refer to in english and when we say christ so jesus christ that's what we're referring to we we it's kind of the same thing as saying jesus the messiah and what messiah really means is a culmination of all all the things that we've been talking about so far so jesus fulfilling the perfect sacrifice, being the chosen one, being the one who would be able to bridge the gap between us who are broken and sinful, and then and then God the Father, who is holy and just and has to enact justice on sin. And if you, and this is what the Bible is all about. When you look at the Bible as a whole, unified story, if you look at it as one narrative, this is the same thread you will see from beginning to end. There's even a messianic prophecy in Genesis three, so even the same chapter that humanity falls from grace and sins for the very first time, you can see God already putting in place and already moving into the motions of starting his redemptive story. So from the beginning to the end, we see Jesus prophesied about over and over again as the one who's going, going to save, the one who's going to deliver. So there's that passage in Genesis 3, and then there's also messianic prophecy in Daniel verse 7 and there's there's many psalms that also point to Jesus as well and um Isaiah 53 which is the chapter about the suffering servant where we read all about the things that Jesus was going to experience which were prophesied long before he was ever on earth as a man as a human um passages in Jeremiah and those are just a few those are just a few, but I we truly do believe that when you read the Bible as one narrative and you really look at it as God's redemptive story that he's writing, then you'll see Jesus on every page. You'll see the inadequacies of humanity, and that will reflect on the flip side of the perfection of Jesus and the life that he lived and the the death that he suffered on our behalf. So just so many different places in the Bible that really point to him and when he arrived, that was his time to somewhat kind of prove to the people that he was the person because there had been so many people that had come before where Where God's chosen people wondered, maybe this is the guy like maybe this is the person who's meant to save us, who's meant to to deliver us. And certainly there were times I think that Israel could have looked at a leader they had and thought maybe maybe he was going to be the guy. I think Saul at one point they may have thought that. I think even with David, there was many different leaders and judges that rose up during um, Israel's time. That they're like, you know, this guy's kind of great. Like he has it all. But then again and again and again, throughout the history of Israel, you'll see Kings falling. You'll see them sin. You'll see them hurt others. You'll see them do horrible things or turn to idols. And so all these things, when you read the Bible as one, one narrative point back to the fact that no, they're inadequate and it's actually Jesus.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's really important that you mentioned the narrative of scripture. Cause I feel like that's something that's really easy to forget. Like sometimes it really does feel like the old Testament and the new Testament are, um, either two separate books completely, or right. they are, um, contradictory in some way. Um, but we really can see, um, you know, the need for a savior, the need for a mediator, for a Messiah all throughout the old Testament. And then how Jesus meets all of those needs and more, um, in the new Testament for sure. Um, you know, we can even see that, you know, with God's character, just how we see. Um, I know sometimes people say that, you know, he looks like a different God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, but of course he was not. Um, this was simply the difference between, you know, the old covenant and the new covenant and the sacrifice of Jesus and again the mediation of Jesus between us and the Father um, that makes it looks so different there, you know, our relationship to God, because it truly is different, you know, when we have Jesus as that savior and that mediation between two.
0: Yeah. I think that when you look at the old and new Testament, what you're really seeing there is the different things that God did to be in communion with his people. Mm -hmm. And it, it can kind of look like you're different. Like a different God. So I can understand why people might think that. But what you're also really seeing when you read the Old and New Testament is you're seeing a different actor of the Trinity really taking front center stage in what you're reading. And so you see God the the Father acting often in the Old Testament. And of course, the New Testament being about Jesus and his life and his death and the aftermath of the impact that he had on the world. And so it may seem that way, but really what you're seeing are two different persons of the Trinity. Of course, with the Holy Spirit acting all throughout, And you know, we've talked about the Trinity before, but really what you're seeing is different things that Jesus, what God really did to, to meet his people and to be with his people, because with Israel, you'll see that how much he, he, he gave them in his grace and in his love, he gave them a complete, just line by line list of the things that they would have to do. And he said, you know, you're agreeing to follow them and I'm agreeing to be your God. And that's how it's going to be. And Israel said, okay, we'll do it. And then they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. So really you're seeing a different actor, but you're also seeing the different things that that God did to be in relationship with his people. I also mentioned a little earlier about how Jesus kind kind of had to prove himself and distinguish himself from all the people that came before. And this is really how... He shows he's the Messiah. He's the one. He really is different. He's not just going to let them down the same way that every other person who had come before him had done. And one of the major ways that he did this are by his signs, by his miracles, and by the wonders that he did while he was on earth. So just doing things that, that nobody should be able to do except God. So, you know, having having command of nature and the elements we see in Mark four that he commands the waves and the waves obey him. That's just kind of crazy in and of itself. I mean, what person do you know that could say that nature obeyed them? Um, Even raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11, something that nobody, nobody should be able to do except to God. So those are a couple ways that he really showed I'm the real thing. That's, that's who I am. But Can you think of like any other examples or ways that Jesus kind of distinguished himself from, from the ones who came before? Yeah. I
1: mean, there's many other miracles that we see throughout scripture for sure. Um, You know, that Jesus kind of distinguishes himself from just a man, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, for sure. I would say like, you know, any miraculous healing that we saw throughout scripture, he healed many people, lepers, blind men, um, you know, like he raised his friend from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we see a lot of healing that he did throughout, uh, the gospel specifically. We also see, um, in the feeding of the 5,000, for example, um, where he had many people listening to him teach for, you know, hours on end and they were hungry at the end of his teaching. And the only fish that, or fish, the only food <laughs> that they had <laughs> at the time was, Um, you know, fish and bread from some kid who brought a lunch, basically, and ended up multiplying that to feed 5,000 plus people. So, um, you know, we certainly see Jesus perform these miracles and wonders and signs um, just throughout his ministry here
0: on earth, um, which certainly distinguishes himself. But yeah one thing i wanted to add there too is that we we do see really r- miraculous things that happen in the old testament as well like there are just some some crazy things that happen in the old testament one of the ones i think of is elijah when he was going up against jezebel and with um the um the idolaters at the time i don't i think it was baal or some kind of baal that they were worshiping at that time and elijah kind of said okay like my God's going to challenge your God and let's like really see mm-hmm. who's real and who's going to respond. And God sent down fire, I believe, um, to an altar and um, Baal's worshipers did all sorts of things to try to get their God to respond or to help or to show himself. And obviously he didn't. And so we'll see crazy stuff like that that happened in the Old Testament, lots of other examples of things that happen that are kind of completely against the law of nature or physics. Um, But what the distinction that we see there that's made is that when there are prophets or people that call upon God, they're calling upon his power and they're asking him to help or asking him to show himself, asking himself, asking him to reveal his glory and reveal his nature, whereas Jesus himself is doing it himself. So that's, I think, a really important distinction because we can see a lot of people that Also, we're able to do, quote, unquote, miracles or wonders, whatever, however you like to describe it. And you also see the disciples that have um, power um, after Jesus has ascended into heaven. But again, Jesus being the real thing, the one who the waves respond to. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, because even with the case of like disciples or apostles after this was Number one, after Jesus' ascension. Um, And it's because they have the Holy Spirit within Mm -hmm. them. They have the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, um, which, you know, Jesus, when he's leaving, says, you know, I will send you a helper. So, um, you know, again, it's like, I feel like calling upon like kind of gives like a weird connotation to like calling upon spirits or something like, that's like what it makes me think of, but you know what I mean? Like, it's basically like, it is the power of the Holy spirit. It's Mm -hmm. not them, you know, Mm -hmm. as men doing those things. So, um, and that's a whole conversation for another day (laughs) because there is a whole debate on that, whether that's still happening or not. Um, maybe we'll do a podcast episode episode idea. (laughs) Yeah. Future episode on that. Um, but anyways, um, so moving into the next role of Jesus Um, that we, uh, wanted to talk about was Jesus as a prophet. So I kind of put a question mark after this because I feel like when it comes to those who were prophets in scripture, um, Jesus is definitely distinguished from those. So he might have said things that were prophetic, or he might have, um, used prophecy in different ways to describe future events or just to encourage the church, um, in that way, um, because believe it or not prophetic language isn't always like telling the future. A lot of times it was actually um like urging people to follow the Lord or to turn back to him or to follow in his ways, um etc. So, um it's not to say that Jesus didn't use prophecy or prophetic language at all, but just the fact that Jesus himself was not a prophet because he's God. Um all throughout, you know, the Old Testament And the new prophets represented God to his people, Um, especially in the Old Testament. They spoke on his behalf because Jesus was God, though. There's no need for a prophet to represent him here on earth. Um, He represented himself, you know, as the son of God. Um, So, again, it's not that he didn't use prophetic language in any way, but just the fact that as far as prophets are concerned, they're used. um, They were used by God to represent him, whereas Jesus was God himself. Um, Did you have any thoughts on that, Allison, or did you have any differing
0: opinions? I'd love to hear. I like that. Well, I just like the idea that Jesus is like, I don't need a messenger. Like I'm here. I can can speak for (laughs) myself, guys. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of that passage in Mark, um, because Mark being the only gospel that I think doesn't include Jesus's birth story. Or wait, am I right about that? Does John included? I think you are because it's it's shorter than most of them. Mark like jumps straight into Jesus's ministry and talks mm-hmm. if you are interested in reading about more of the miracles and signs of Jesus that is a great place to start because Mark is all about like jumping straight into the action but it kind of reminds me of how Jesus went to the temple to prophesy and say like hey I'm here and just I think the Bible says like nobody listened to him um but i just love the fact that jesus he just jumps straight in and he's like i'm here i'm ready and i'm going to speak for myself because i don't even need a messenger i'm i'm it i'm here guys so i mm-hmm. i think that's just a really beautiful picture when i think about that
1: yeah you are right by the way mark one starts with yes. john the baptist preparing the way so okay. it's not it's after jesus was already born um
0: Love being right about so, stuff like that, <laughs> just like, okay. I did read yay. that book and I did remember it correctly. Yes, <laughs> round of applause. Um,
1: yes, so the final role that we want to talk about, of course, there could be many more, um, you know, that we might be missing, but just for the sake of time, mm-hmm. I don't want to be talking for 5,000 years, so. <laughs> Um, we wanted to discuss Jesus as King. So if you've kind of noticed the timeline that we've been going on a little bit here, we kind of established, first of all, who Jesus is um, to begin with from the beginning. Um, then we kind of talked about a little bit um just some of his roles that we see throughout scripture, such as the high priest Messiah, um, and you know, the one who came as. The central, you know, gospel message, basically. Um, but then, finally, we wanted to talk about Jesus as King because this is um, obviously a current, past, present, and future role of Jesus. Um, but I think when I think of Jesus as king, the first thing that comes to mind is like the second coming of Christ and him ruling and reigning over the new heavens and the new earth. Um, so we kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit, um, just talk about the second coming of Christ itself. Um, so I wanted to read two different scripture verses that mention this second coming. So the first one is First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. This says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Um, So that's definitely a prophetic verse right there. Just talking about the coming, um, the second coming of Jesus in the future, which we have not seen yet. Um, and then the second verse that I wanted to read is revelation one seven. And this says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be amen. Um, and then the last, passage that I wanted to read is Revelation 21. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I am going to read verses one through eight. So it might be a little bit long, but just bear with me. Um, I just feel like it's really worth um, mentioning and reading through because it really does describe Jesus's role as King in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, So this is um, the vision that's being discussed right now. And it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Um, So this entire verse is very, I don't even know what, how to describe it. Like, it's just like scary. Yeah, it's comforting, but it's also scary, but it's also like truly just, I feel like exhibits God's sovereignty and his power and his justice, but then also the fact that he truly loves his children, his bride, um, you know, and obviously when we're talking about the bride of Christ, we're talking about the church. So, um, you know, we always see that paired together with Christ. Uh, The bride of Christ is the church. So, um, you know, this is really definitely showing um, and exhibiting Jesus as King, you know, reigning above all things. Um, You know, again, it says he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. Um, So I don't know, you know, how else I could put that (laughs) other than just to read that passage, honestly. Um, it really just shows the glory and the majesty of Jesus as King overall. Um, and you know, as an omnipresent God, he is ruling and reigning now he's ruling and reigning in the past and in the future, um, all at the same time, which is a very complex concept. Believe me. Um, I think we can all agree to that because it's just, we don't understand time in an, you know, infinite way, but, um, You know, truly, I think it is a comfort just to know that as believers, like as the bride of Christ, um, he is returning for us. And someday there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And you know, justice will be served, yes, to all evil on this earth, all sin. Um, but there will also be a new heaven and a new earth. There will also be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Um, and that's just such a comforting thing to know, just that Jesus is a fair, a righteous, a loving, a compassionate, a kind um, and a just king.
0: It's a really foreign concept, kingship, at least to us, I think, in living in 21st century America, because
1: mm-hmm.
0: we don't we don't live in a monarchy. So we don't, first of all, experience that firsthand, like having having royals. I think that's part of why we're so obsessed with like the Royals, their, their, you know, their lives. That's part of it. It's really foreign to us, but I think it's also foreign to us today to trust our leaders and to have confidence in them that they have our best interest in mind and are going to do the things that are going to impact us positively. So that's just for me personally, when I think about Jesus being the King, it's so, so deeply comforting because to know Like how comforting and wonderful is it to know that your leader has your best interest at heart, would literally lay down his life for you and has, by the way, already has and arose from the dead, but is going to reign forever. And that person, that person you can trust fully because he's God. And you know that he lived a perfect life and he never sinned, not even once that he's going to be the one who ultimately has victory, regardless of the pain, the suffering, the sin that we see in the world around us it sounds idyllic almost, but it's true. It's true. Just the fact that you can take comfort in that and it is internal eternal kingship ruling over everything. And just knowing like he has complete control over all of it right now. He always did. And he always was, and he always will. So just really comforting thing for me personally. So with all of that said, we kind of wanted to wrap it up by synthesizing all those different roles together. Cause it's been a lot of information and we kind of just want to bring that all home and live started to do that. I'm going to kind of trail off from uh, what she was saying about those passages in revelation. So ultimately what we see in Jesus, the Bible, the Bible is all about how humans just failed. Humans just failed. And literally the moment they did that, God started his mission. He was ready. He was on his way to start redeeming, Humanity in the world. So we see that in Jesus. So, first of all, God set up the priesthood. They were supposed to mediate and um, complete sacrifices on behalf of the people to make sure that God could have, to make sure that the, they could have a relationship with God and have access to Him. And they failed. And Jesus is that priest. So ultimately, He fulfills that role. Second, He's the king. Like we just talked about, we see a cycle of evil kings all throughout Kings and the Chronicle scrolls. And we see the evil that they perpetrated, child sacrifice, idolatry, um, wars, constant struggles for power. There's murder. There's just everything bad you can think of is packed into that. And we know that even there were better kings, there were somewhat good kings, and they still fell short, um, ones like David. So we see the kings c- you know, can be the best they can be, but they're never going to be perfect. And that's Jesus, the perfect king. And then, of course, the prophets and the ones who came to speak on God's behalf and mediate for the people again and to convict them and remind them of who they need to turn back to. And then Jesus being the ultimate one who came and did the healing, did the miracles, did the wonders to prove who he was and that he's the chosen one that ultimately comes back to really what it's all about. Jesus being the Messiah. Being the anointed, the chosen one. We cannot save ourselves. We are naturally born into sin, separated from God. And we need that mediator. mediator. We need that savior. And that's Jesus who fulfills all those roles and more ultimately pointing to him being the Messiah and the son of God.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's just, you know, understanding through all of these roles that um, Jesus truly did fulfill what he said he was going to, um, you know, he states that he came to fulfill the law um, and he truly did, you know, and that because of that, that means that he is, you know, our high priest. Um, He is the word of God. He is our King, our good King. He is our Messiah, our savior, Um, you know, because he was able to do that um, through, you know, being both God and man um, through understanding and being able to empathize with our weaknesses, but at the same time, truly being God, um, you know, able to accomplish all of those things, things that we could have never done on our own so that we have hope in this life so that we can, um, truly know God and know eternal life as well. Um, such a huge gift, such an infinite blessing. Like we could never even literally. (laughs) Yeah. Literally (laughs) infinite, literally (laughs) eternal. Like we could couldn't even truly comprehend that as a whole. Like I think we do to some extent. And of course, like it should humble us. It should bring us to gratefulness and thankfulness um, and obedience, but like, I don't even think that it's possible for us to fully comprehend that, Mm -hmm. you know, at this level,
0: (laughs) if that makes any sense, but. Yeah. And, and even if we're familiar with the concept too, we can become somewhat desensitized to it. If you've been Christians for a while Mm -hmm. or have heard it consistently, or even if we're not falling in the faith right now, but if we grew up in the church, if you're a Christian listening to this and like, you've kind of forgotten that's the Jesus you have access to that you could pray to right now. Like that's the Jesus that fed the 5,000. That's the Jesus that brought Lazarus back from the dead, the Jesus that healed blind men and lepers and 100% controls and commands the elements, the world, the earth bow to him. They obey him. Like that's the Jesus that you have access to. That's the Jesus who loved you so much that he died for you just literally so that he could have a relationship with you because he knew you would never be able to fill, fulfill your part. So as Christians, I think we can become like understanding who Jesus is. We can become dull to it if we've heard it and we know it because we know it deep down, but it doesn't always penetrate our hearts through our minds, through our conceptual understanding of it. And so that's something I'm just preaching myself. I have to remind myself again and again, that's the Jesus, like who lives in me. I have the Holy spirit. And so if you're a Christian, you know, just remembering that and being in awe of that and reconnecting with that, then also if you're not a Christian, like if this can be an introduction for you to who Jesus is and how he's set apart from all the people who came before and will come after him, like this is a great place to start is knowing him by his roles And there is so much you can find even within these. So if you want to explore Jesus as king, one of the best places to start is by reading about the kings um, in Kings and Chronicles. If you want to understand Jesus as the prophets, there are so many books of of prophecy in the Old Testament, especially. If you want to understand Jesus as healer, if you want to understand Jesus as the son of God. So there's, there's so many places that you can go to. You'll never be able to stop exploring. It will be like an endless well that will just completely overflow. So that's just kind mm-hmm. of our encouragement our application for you that if it's been a while, and if that's something that you've become a little desensitized to, to to reconnect with that, with the scriptures and reminding yourself of who God or who Jesus really is. And if you're not familiar to get familiar because you'll have your lifetime to explore it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope that this was encouraging to you um, just to kind of take a deep dive into who Jesus uh, is and who he is in relation to, uh, God and who he is in relation to us. Um, you know, just as a whole, who we see him to be throughout the scriptures. Um, and of course, if this is something that you've heard a million times, I just hope that it was a good refresher for you to just kind of remember, um, and just come back to the simplicity of the gospel and who Jesus is. Um, It's something that's really important to remember and to dwell on and to not lose our awe over, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because obviously we could never be grateful enough for this, never thankful enough. So um, with that, I think we're going to close this out here. Um, As usual, we've been talking for a while. We always have so much information (laughs) to cover. Um, in a very short amount of time, we could go on forever about this. But um, I hope that you um, are able to join us next time. We're going to be talking about um, toxic masculinity in the church.
0: Ooh, it's going to really be really, interesting. really fun. You guys should definitely yes. tune in next week.
1: I'm very excited about it. Um, we are most likely I haven't like completely confirmed this with him mm-hmm. like recently. So I can't really say it like 100%, but I'm like 98% sure that we'll have my husband on with us. Mm-hmm. Um, he works in ministry and that's actually something he's really passionate about is just like, I don't want to say like toxic masculinity in the church is his passion, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. it's something that he obviously as man has knowledge right. on and, um, it's just, interested in talking about for sure. So, so, um, with that, I hope that you can join us next time. Uh, Check out our previous episodes. If you haven't already, Um, also follow us on Instagram. You can find us at Cedar and Cypress pod and we will see you guys next time.